Hello, and welcome to the Keys to Spiritual Fulfillment podcast, where we'll identify and explore ways that we can become the best humans we can be. Compassionate, wise, loving, confident, and courageous. I'm Reverend Dr. Arvid Straube, your host, and I've been helping people grow spiritually for more than 40 years. I've been a congregational leader, a trained spiritual director, and a meditation coach, and I've also been a lifetime student of spiritual practices and traditions. Today's episode is called Grief is a Form of Love, and we're going to be talking today about the universal human experience of grief. I've been with scores of individuals and families in their time of bereavement, and being human, I've suffered the loss of loved ones of my own. And one thing I know about grief is that grief is holy. Grief is a form of love. Our culture denies death, you know, even though our media is just full of images of violent death. The death of people in our everyday lives is hidden away in hospitals and hospices far too often. In most cultures, at least in traditional cultures, death was something that happened in almost every home. Children grew up with it, seeing it. Death was just recognized as a part of life. But all cultures grieve their loved ones. And no true spirituality can exist without coming to terms with what our own death and the death of our loved ones means. As my friend and colleague Forrest Church wrote, love and death are allied. Grief is a sacrament. In 2006, my friend Forrest was told that he had terminal cancer of the esophagus. After treatment and a short remission, he died in 2009. And in the months before his death, he wrote the best book on grief and death I've ever read. It's called Love and Death, and I can't recommend this book highly enough. Yeah, we're so confused about grief, so we often don't know what to expect, and our culture doesn't honor grief and the experience of people who are grieving. And the first thing, and I really want to emphasize this, there is no right way to grieve. Every person grieves in their own way, in their own time. And we need to respect that. You know, you probably heard or read about Elizabeth Kubler-Ross's five stage of grief. You start with denial, you move to anger, and then bargaining, and then finally depression, and then acceptance. So, People have taken that on, and they've, they've, they've decided that grief has to be by the numbers. You know, people are judged or judge themselves about whether they're following each step of the way, whether they're getting stuck in one step, or whether somebody they know who is grieving is getting stuck in one step. There is no science behind this. Let go of it. Let go of it. There is no checklist for grieving. I mean, maybe you can think it's 
a comfort to have some kind of a map of this mystery of grief. But it can become a burden and not honor our own or the grieving process or the process of others who are grieving that we know. There is no basis on scientific fact of this. Remember, those stages of grief were put together by Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, and I honor her work here. She noticed these stages. She noticed these stages for people who are dying, not for people who are grieving. But it's been applied to people who are grieving. Just let it go. You know, how we grieve depends on who we are, what our personalities are, what the circumstances of our death are. You know, I was there when my mother died. And that was a different kind of grief after she died than when my grandmother died much earlier. You see, my mother had had a series of strokes which left her with dementia and less and less cognitive ability. In a way, I lost her bit by bit. And there is such a thing as pre-grief if people have a long illness. And I believe that I pre-grieved her. It was an ex- And with expected deaths, that can happen. Also, and and people sometimes feel guilty about this, but you shouldn't. It's just natural is to feel relief that the ordeal of the person suffering and your ordeal, caring about it and taking care of them, is over. It's quite normal under these circumstances to feel relief. It's another story, a traumatic story, when someone's death is unexpected, especially if it's violent. And there, maybe, it's very important to get some professional help or or support. So what happens when we grieve? There are some kind of patterns that happen to a lot of people quite often, maybe even most people, and it's helpful to know what to expect. First of all, you might have some emotional experiences that are outside your normal emotional repertoire. If you're someone who doesn't get angry often, you may find yourselves in the time after a loss to find you're losing your temper over all kinds of things or If you're someone who doesn't cry, maybe you cry a lot. Or maybe you don't cry at all. And here's something very important. Very often, the most intense emotions around grief hit about a month or six weeks after the loss. Hmm. That's when everybody's expected to be back to work, back to normal life, back to the way things were. That's what our culture expects. But that's not what most people are experiencing. You know, I like the custom among the Victorians who wore black armbands 
for a year after the loss of a, a close loved one. So everybody could see that the person was in mourning. And everybody could see to treat them gently, to not expect them to be who they were before the loss. One thing that's almost universal in my experience with people grieving and my own grief is the lack of ability to concentrate. What seems to happen is that, first of all, there's shock because the loss is so enormous. And often people have said to me, I don't, f after, soon after a loss, I don't feel anything. Well, that's quite normal. There's a, a freezing of emotions because it's so intense. And gradually that freezing, if you will, thaws and the pain and sorrow comes. But what you know, what you should know when you're grieving is your mind and body and emotions are healing, are healing. Grief is not just a psychological trauma. It's also a, a physical hit. Our bodies need to heal as well as our minds. And it's going to take time to get used to this new reality where this person that was so much a part of our lives is no longer physically present with us. So there could be intense waves of sadness. They can often become at unexpected times. And the advice here is, if appropriate, if possible, when those waves come, to surrender to them. To surrender to them. To let the tears, and the talk heal. Not everybody cries a lot, and there are cycles. Here's something that people have shared with me. I haven't had the experience myself, but it's quite common for the bereaved to feel the presence, the almost tangible presence of the dead person. And people worry that somehow there's somehow mentally ill. But no, it's not. It's, an, it's a common experience. You can accept it, maybe even cherish it. And grief can take a long time. It depends, of course, on your circumstances, who you are, how you process emotions. If you allow the waves of sorrow through or resist them, it can take a year or more, and you're never the same. You heal, but that loss is always there. After a while, it's not quite as center, central. And the way to get there is through talk and tears. Talk and tears. If you want to support people who are grieving, you don't have to worry about doing it right. Just show up. There are some things you should never say. You should never say, he, she is in a better place. You should never say, this is God's will. You should never say anything like that, which denies the profundity of the loss of the person you're talking about. 
Also, don't talk people out of their feelings. Don't tell them that it's time to move on. In the book Love and Death, Forest Church talks about a couple who lost a child and you know, people were awkward around them and that they were trying to be supportive. They were trying to help, but the the awkwardness was an emotional burden for these parents of the child. And this woman told him, though most people can't seem to handle talking about Sally's death and are awkward around us, when we're together with them laughing and chatting about some silly thing, I get this odd feeling that we're being judged as if our behavior were somehow inappropriate. And when she was asked what support from friends was most helpful, the mother said, I know one thing. Now, when someone I know loses a loved one, I'll be there with a casserole and all the time in the world. There's a really wonderful television show that I've discovered called The Gentle Art of Swedish Death Cleaning. I think it's on Bravo. And it's based on the best-selling book, uh, The Gentle Art of Swedish Death Cleaning. It's got these characters from Sweden who come and swoop into um, people who are have a cluttered house uh, so that the people who survive them after death don't have to deal with their junk. But this show is way more profound than that, and, and one particular episode was very touching for me. It was about a woman who had a terminal cancer diagnosis, and she was very aware, very in touch with her feelings, very accepting of what happened. Um, she had a lot of good friends, but it was hurtful for her that her friends couldn't, didn't, were afraid to talk about the fact that she was dying. And she felt so lonely and weird when she was around them because she couldn't bring up the most important thing about her life at that time. And the death cleaners at the end had a wonderful dinner and they invite, gently invited her to tell her loved ones, her friends, her husband. She was close to her husband. They were living apart, but she was still close to him. To tell them just how isolated and lonely she felt because they wouldn't talk about what the fact of her dying and her illness. And then everybody went around the table and told her how much they loved her and how she was important to them and how much they were going to miss her. And the evening ended in an almost holy place. <laughs> Maybe the candles helped, but the laughter and the relief helped too. Love has a price. Grief is the price of love. You know, if we shut ourselves off from grief, then the only way to do that is just not love. And there are people who make that choice, and they're miserable. Most of us would not trade our experiences with our loved ones, even knowing the pain and the price 
of grief when they go. And this is something important, and I found it can be comforting. You know, we do lose the physical presence of the people we love. But the relationship doesn't end there. Keep that person close. Keep their presence there, the memory of them. Talk to them. <laughs> you know, they're still there. It's not, it's kind of like when they're in another room or another city. We still have a relationship with them. And given time, given tears, if that's the way you grieve, given the support of family and friends, the sharp goodbye that we experience when we think of our lost loved one, gradually, gradually turns into a grateful hello. I'd like to close with words from love and death. About life after death, no one knows. But about this, we surely do know. There is love after death. Not only do our finest actions invest life with meaning and purpose, but they also live on after us. Two centuries from now, the last tracings of our being will yet express themselves in little works of love that follow bead by bead in a luminous chain extending from our dear ones out into the world and then on into the next, strung by our own loving hands. Death is love's measure. Not only is our grief when someone dies testimony to our love, but when we ourselves die, the love we have given to others is the one thing that death cannot kill. This has been the Keys to Spiritual Fulfillment podcast with Reverend Dr. Arvid Straubi. Let me respectfully remind you that life and death are of ultimate concern. Time passes swiftly by, and opportunity is lost. Wake up. Wake up. Do not squander your precious life.